Good evening, everyone, and thank you to everyone for making the time to join us tonight. Um, we're joined by, joined by Nathan Germain, who um, you can see on your screen now. Um, Nathan uh, is coming back to join us for the second time in a great session with him uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, I think you were actually our first, you were the first speaker we had online. Maybe I'm correct in saying that. Or maybe the second, I'm not sure. But anyway, one of the first. So great to have you back, Nathan. Thank you. And uh, Ivan, nice to have you there. Thank you for um, for doing your hair and shaving and, 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 and so forth. <laughs> yeah, I actually did my hair early in the morning. I just I might need a haircut, but you know yeah. it's COVID. So I thought goes. maybe you might have worn your bathrobe. So you know I set my expectations low. Um, but uh, no, good to have everyone here tonight, and thanks for joining us. And tonight's session is. Uh, you know, to have a chat with Nathan, uh, get some insight onto uh, how he's reading the market at the moment, what types of strategies, what sort of information he's looking at, a broad conversation about the market, trading uh, and the like. And uh, this is an open forum, so if you've got questions, please put them into the chat box and um, we, we'll just have a general conversation a, a, about the market. Um, any advice contained in tonight's presentation is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances. You need to decide for yourself whether it's appropriate for you and past returns and not an accurate indicator of future returns. And I will also add that if you're going to trade, it's a risky business. You need to know what you're doing. Uh, you need to get educated. You need to continue uh, to invest in your education. And, um, you know, uh, there you go. So that, that, that's basically... Uh, that's, that's the housekeeping done. If you want to ask a question, uh, you should have a chat box open on your screen. If it's not open, top right-hand corner, click on that and you can type away. Um, and these sessions are designed uh, to help give people a broader insight into trading. Uh, generally speaking, the people who attend these sessions are already traders, but we welcome everyone with open arms who's interested and willing to do what it takes uh, to be a trader and to give themselves a being a successful trader. That's what this forum is about. So uh, if we talk about things you don't understand, then there's heaps of education you can do with reach markets and implied volatility. Um, at any point in time, if you want to get access to our education sessions and anything like that, uh, just type in attend. If you're coming through and you want to get a, a access to our trading platform, trade at the lowest cost, get access to the best technology available uh, for an options trader in Australia, just type in yes and we'll give you a 30-day trial for what we do. So, um, uh, and, uh, uh, and if you typed in yes, the chat sound check will also give you a 30-day free trial as well. Um, anyway, so um, Nathan, great to have you. What's, how have you been going? How have you been finding the market? Um, and, 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 and how has the market been treating your, your strategies that you've been using? Have you had to adjust, change? What's been going on? Yeah, look, it's been um, an interesting ride since uh, I was last on. I think we were, that was at the, just after March, maybe early early April. So that was uh, very exciting times then. Um, yeah. I've been this afternoon just been looking at uh, some data that's basically tracked or the tracked the all the global indices on the downward um, spiral and basically where they are now. And it was very quite interesting to note that all the major European indices uh, seem to sort of come down uh, quite closely correlated to uh, the point where they then 
and a March bottomed out. Um, but now the markets are all the global markets are just sporadically placed all around. You've got Aussie market XJO is sitting at about uh, eighteen and a quarter percent off its high. Um, the U.S. market, uh, as we speak, the uh, S&P 500 futures have just tipped into under 10% down off the high, uh, which is quite, uh, it means this session overnight is going to be quite interesting and pivotal. pivotal. The um, uh, European markets, German market, is sort of knocking on the door of uh, 13 12% down off the high, whilst the UK and, and uh, French markets are uh, still knocking, uh, you know, around the 20%, 19% down. So you've got global, different uh, global markets all in, you know, all around the place. Whilst at one point they were all fairly closely correlated and following each other down. So you could argue that there's uh, a lot of money to be made or potential money to be made due to um, pricing, uh, mispricing across global equities um, from market to market. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time, that's for sure, because obviously I'm quite bearish, as you guys know. Anyone out there may have read the article that I published a few weeks back called The, uh, the Big Off, where I looked at uh, at what point um, yeah, there could be another big correction. Um, based on the fact that we've, we've seen this amazing rally since uh, the end of March. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of it's uh, too early to call yet. There's a, a lot of press out there. and I think uh, Goldman Sachs overnight changed their, uh, changed their tune. <laughs> All of a sudden went from uh, bearish to bullish. Um, but, uh, and you get that. You get a lot of the big banks will come out at this time and uh, say things like that. Uh, because generally, to be, fair, to be fair to Goldman Sachs, they did go uh, bearish early. They did, they did, and, and I think well, it's, to be fair, to, to be fair to Goldman's, they also did predict the height of the uh, oil uh, price when it just was about to hit two fifty or whatever it was during two thousand and eight. Uh, except they got it completely wrong. Uh, they, they, they were bullish right on the day that uh, was the peak for oil forever. So, you know, <laughs> this well, might be the sign. It, totally. Well, generally they're making money on transactions anyway, so they're not really, when uh, they're coming out saying something in the media, it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really mean, mean a great deal. It doesn't affect the market, that's for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been um, interesting times because... Uh, Obviously, I think Magellan, I was just reading this afternoon, Magellan have uh, taken just under 50% cash position now. Um, so they're, they're extremely bearish. Um, there's a few other big hedge funds, but that's who have also done the same thing. But it doesn't mean anything. It's, uh, as we all know, the, the market does what it's going to do. And um, it's whether you've got a position one way or another, it's just about preparing uh, it's positioning yourself around that and also preparing for any any scenario possible. <laughs> and that's the, uh, I suppose, the, the world of options trading. You have to expect the unexpected and uh, be prepared for it. Is there any kind of, um, uh, like, what sort of, are you taking positions at the moment uh, on the Aussie still? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, in uh, one in, in my hedge fund. I've got basically uh, just a pure options strategy where we're just trading XJO, so just the ASX 200 uh, in, index, and that's a combination of options and futures. But um, uh, I, the strategy I'm having most stuck with at the moment is uh, one that I've been trying, which is a long short strategy, and because we've had this amazing rally, <laughs> it's actually. Uh, proving more successful than the um, the pure option strategy at this point. Um, yeah. So that that's been an interesting one um, in this market. But yeah, it's it's a uh, it's certainly tough. And and um, uh, I was gonna there was one thing I was gonna say. Obviously, I'm I'm a net seller of options, and it's in the current climate, it's super important that when you get these uh, these moments or or, or periods where the market's grinding sideways, um, be careful because it's um, when the market was around, I think, 5,500 uh, start of last week, it could have been Monday, um, and all of a sudden, three days later, we were hitting 59.24, I think it was, um, you know, 424 points in, in um, you know, three and a half sessions or whatever it was. So it's it's super important that um, uh, you know if you if you've got a long base strategy and options, um, fantastic. You know it's, <laughs> it's a different story. But the the, the guys that are short, uh, you just want to be careful um, to uh, be patient and wait for those those moments of, of uh, momentum that come in, so you get a much clearer uh, idea as to to where the the market or the stock is heading. Um, before you start selling. Are you still using uh, the sort of out-of-the-money bear calls, that, that type of strategy? Yeah, correct. Yeah, credit spreads. Um, a few iron condors, um, but once again, you've got to be careful because if there are sharp movements, um, then, yeah, you, you can quite easily be caught out if you don't have anything uh, offsetting. I, I'm using futures quite often to to offset out-of-market hours and um, for some of the spreads that I'm, I'm operating. But, yeah, you just need to be uh, careful that there's not a big swing either upward or downward because you can be caught out. Yeah. Um, Michael's asked, uh, in your view, uh, as are credit spreads the best way to go at the moment? Um, I... For for me, yes, because I know them, I know them and I know them well. Um, but I I don't operate any long base strategies, so I'm sure there's people that have some you know uh, amazing long base strategies. Um, and maybe you know Ivan could probably talk to that better than I could. But um, yeah, for me for me definitely uh, it it works well. But the the crucial the key thing with with credit spreads uh, in the current climate is getting your parcel size right. Because I think it's uh, people forget uh, options traders. As an option trader, it's easy to forget that um, you might have to close out a position at some time in the future. And when you enter it and you see the um, the premium that's received and you think, oh, goody, you know, that's gone into my account. Fantastic, I'm winning. Um, you don't often factor in that, that you know, whatever you, you just received in your, uh, in your account you know, you may have to close that position for four times that or three times that, um, and you won't be so happy. <laughs> so it's important that to get that parcel size right, 
yep. because we are in a, in a period of high volatility comparative to two years ago, um, where it's you know wasn't the the volatility wasn't nearly as high. But we're you know now we're seeing days where there's we're up 120, 150, maybe 200 points, and it's not really uh, you know a big day. <laughs> it's not. Yep. It doesn't really. Uh, it doesn't really do anything for you, but um, you know, you think back to uh, like February two thousand and eighteen, which was a huge amount of volatility came in the market, and the big day in the US market, I think, were like four four and a half percent off, and you know, it was it was like Armageddon, the end of the world. And if you compare that to you know what we're seeing in the first half of this year, it's uh, it's nothing. So. So yeah, parcel, the parcel, yeah, parcel size is is crucial because you have to have to have that exit strategy for any position that you enter, and and that's the, the biggest thing with credit spreads is setting that upfront. So I I think I remember you were selling um, the sold leg was sort of maybe four hundred points away from where the where where the XGO was trading on the example you gave us last time. Is that correct? Was that yeah, it's not, it's, uh, the the metrics are not solely based on on points of weight. There's a few other um, factors that, that uh, go into that. But yeah, generally, as an, I think the example I gave you back in the back in the last session was yeah, 5500 or so was was my short leg and a 5600. Um, it's yeah, it's just and it depends again. It depends um, the the. The number, the distance between the short leg and the long leg, to the, the the spread itself. Um, you know what what I'll choose there will be just based on the actual pricing skew at the time, uh, comparative to the margin and and parcel size. So there's a um, you know some pretty basic maths around that. But yep. uh, yeah, in fact, yep. one of one of the things I I was going to touch on um, and I'm be able. This afternoon, I noticed that the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this seemed to be a, a very strange thing, that the pricing skew was favourable to um, the upside and not the downside. Um, so just as an example, uh, I think that, you know, we're hovering around 58.40, 58.50, and the, um, the, uh, the price of spreads call spreads at 150 points upwards at 6,000 to 6,100 compared to down 150 points at 5,750 uh, was greater. So it's it's not often you see that. Uh, it normally, um, if that's not, I think that was the theoretical price actually. Normally, uh, one of the things I do is actually monitor uh, the premium that market makers have. Uh, above theoretical price to see if there's some kind of uh, premium that they're factoring in um, based on something that they may know that we don't. But um, one of the few times that I've seen the theoretical price in, in calls be be higher than puts. So I, Ivan, I don't know if you can shed some light on that um, from your side. Uh, no. Unfortunately, no. Maybe it's because, I, I, uh, I know you're hoping wisdom, but no. Yeah, because pubs have opened back up again. What was that? Because pubs have opened back up again. 
You can go for a drink at lunch time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, my my is woeful today. Now uh, I have actually I haven't seen it yet, so um, I haven't been out of the house yet. So yeah. Yeah. I um Nathan Tony has asked uh, how are you assessing the impact of COVID on the market direction, and are you changing your view as the states open up? Um. I'm more following price action uh, than anything else. So I, I look to obviously uh, look to see the effect of, of headlines and so forth on price action and um, just gauging the positivity of, uh, as I said before, market makers are a good one to watch um, and just the general general price action. So you see it in, if you look at the futures session overnight, you can you can get an idea as to um, who reposition and positioning themselves, or whether they've got a positive or negative outlook, um, because that may have a flow-on effect to the session you see the next day. So, uh, yeah, obviously, it's a tough um, yeah, it's a tough market to pick. There's at the moment everything's sort of headline-driven. There's it seems that uh, the you know a lot of um, how do I put it? The, it's almost like the market believes that all, all the un, unknowns are known at this point because they're seeing all the cities open up in the US and so forth. And, and in the absence of any uh, sort of doubt or, um, uh, yeah, sort of doubt or unanswered questions, um, it's going to be, yeah, hard for the, the direction to shift uh, to the downside. But it's something you'll give. There will be. It's never what you you uh, suspect or, or see coming. Everyone's looking at, um, you know, all of the PMI figures and, and jobless rates and so forth. But they're, they're all the knowns. Um, they're, yeah, they're known at this point. So even though they're really bad and you see them come out and you think, oh, the market's going to take when this, you know, this figure drops, um, and then it doesn't. And, if, yeah, so if you're wondering why, that's, that's, that's the reason why, because at that point, you know, that, that figure's known, and, and that's really what most people, um, particularly equities guys, are looking at. They're just looking at, you know, is there any un, are there any unknowns or, or do we sort of have a grasp on, on where all the figures are at? Nathan, would you be able to explain to everyone what you do, uh, how you manage your hedge fund, but what, what are the things that you're doing um, and what is your business, and, and, and how do you run it? Um, okay, so the, I, I have a, a, a couple of sides of the business. So one, one side of the business um, uh, is actually doing all the reporting for warrants. So if anyone's ever bought warrants in the market, uh, Stormont Warrants will have a loan facility, uh, you'd actually would have received a, a tax statement that, that comes from, uh, from us. And then with the hedge fund, uh, basically day in, day out, or 24, <laughs> 24 hours, six days a week, I should say, um, just keeping an eye on the uh, positions. As I said before, we are using futures as a hedge. So um, it takes away from your sleep. Um, but, yeah, basically you have, have a, uh, a set of metrics that you know, are monitoring um, different, uh, different levels and looking for the market to be in the right place to then uh, open positions and then just setting each of those positions to be open, uh, saying credit spreads, 
uh, we'll have a predefined exit point and just monitoring that. Um, and it'll also have a, a hedge that'll, uh, not directly hedge, but a, in an indirect hedge that'll um, also be in operation at that point, um, which is generally futures. And um, yeah, just basically monitoring monitoring that and uh, closing positions if needed. Uh, if not, you know, holding holding options to worthless. Yeah. Uh, how do you? What did your day look like from a trading perspective? So I normally uh, am watching the futures during the night, unfortunately. So uh, I have alerts set at different levels. Um, so if they go off, I'll, I'll get up and basically uh, assess whether something needs to be done. Um, and then later on, or earlier on, I should say, in the morning, I'll probably watch the, the end of the US session, which is quite always quite interesting to see the correlation of the, the Aussie futures um, through the latter part of the US session. It gives you an idea as to how we're going to potentially trade that day. Uh, then, yeah, obviously there's a futures pause at the moment from um, 7 till uh, 9.50. But the once again, even when that happens, the US futures come back on at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I watch that to see whether there's any major um, moves between that and 9.50, which is when futures come along. And um, it's also quite often when companies, the US companies or politicians make um, announcements post-US market and then they do it after the US futures finish up seven. So yeah, quite often at 8am there can be fireworks sort of going off and Aussie futures haven't come back online yet. So then yeah, at 9.50 when Aussie futures come back on, you get a whole, there's a different traders that come on at that point. So the nighttime futures guys have sort of, they've got one objective and then the guys who come at 9.50 are sort of a, a different set of guys and are often positioning for the day that for the market that's just about to open. Um, and, yeah, and then basically sit, sit at a desk watching screens from <laughs> from that point until uh, 4.30, which is when the options and, and futures shut again. And then between 4.30 and, and 5.10, there's a pause in the, in the futures. So... I um I take the dog out. <laughs> take, take the dog out for a walk at that point. <laughs> um, eh, when do you sleep? Do you have an afternoon nap? <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to at night if I've got. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm generally aiming at um, trying to find some really nice deep out of the money positions in in options. So uh, yeah. trigger points for for futures positions and so forth. Don't bother me during the night. That's the that's the uh, the balancing act. And I think I think when I when I first started off, and I think most people when they start trading options, you um you 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 can get pretty gun ho and a bit too overkeen. Um, and then over time, you learn that uh, you need your sleep. You need <laughs> you need to um, uh, find positions. You can um, you can tolerate out of market hours um, and yeah still lead a normal life. So it is about that balance, definitely. All right, I got a couple of questions for you. Um, uh, Michael's asked, uh, do you have any long stop stop positions that you write 
Hoots against? Um, no, I've got a lot. So I do have some long stock um, positions, um, and I should say that with, with those, I don't because I'm not I'm not an equities guy. I, I use um, guys who specialise in um, which which stocks to, to go along on. Um, but then I actually have uh, I don't I have a, a mix of long positions that are loosely correlated to the index. Um, so then I just use index um, and futures uh, at that point to short. Yeah. Um, Does that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mike's asked, uh, maybe have a, have, a, have a go at a short version of this, but um, could you explain what you mean by use futures for hedge uh, and then there was a single stock futures or index US or Australian. So what was the last bit? The... Are they US futures or, or Aussie? Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I only use the Aussie futures. Occasionally use the US futures, um, uh, but not, not as a hedge if, if, if there's speculation or there's huge market movement. Um, and maybe there's, uh, as I said, there's a few times during the day like 8 a.m. till 9.50 a.m. where Aussie futures aren't on. So occasionally I'll jump in the U.S. futures, but predominantly just the Aussie futures. And because I'm generally trading the Aussie index, uh, I'm using it, say, overnight if there's, you know, all of a sudden the markets start to really come off, um, you know, 2 3%, then I'll, short, I'll go short in the Aussie futures. This is assuming that I've got, say, a, 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 um, a credit spread and puts. Um, and basically, yeah, the, as the market goes down overnight, I'll make money in that short position in the futures. Um, and for every every point down, obviously, the, it's going to cost me more and more to close out that put spread. Um, so then I'll use the money I make on that um, short position in the futures to then offset that uh, that put spread that I probably buy back the next day, but I, I should warn you. Obviously, it's yeah, <laughs> it's um, the futures are a uh, are a, 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 another beast entirely, and it's um, I don't trade them outright. I only use them as a hedge, and there's a big difference. I think um, if you were trying to make money purely from trading futures, you'd uh, you'd have yeah, you pull your hair. <laughs> So we or you'd lose it. Yeah. yeah um, that's how I feel <laughs> futures. No option. Yeah. Um, thank thanks. Thanks. Uh, that was a good explanation. Uh Paul uh Paul uh, says you said options traders need to be ready for the unexpected even when you have a pretty strong opinion on in one particular direction. How do you do that? Um so probably in going back to what I was saying with the parcel, the parcel size. So, so basically, now now's a good example like in terms of the current climate, um, because as I said last Monday, you know we were at fifty five hundred and we hit fifty nine twenty within I think it was three and a half sessions, um, which is unbelievable um, to go up that much. It, even though I was bearish at the time, 
I um, you know, opened a few positions at six thousand even for June expiry. And so going back to expecting the unexpected, um, it's it's easy at that point to to you know read a lot of headlines and say, well, we're at fifty five hundred, we've been here for a while. I'm bearish. I think we should go. Uh, the next move is down. Um, I'm going to sell a whole lot of calls. Um, and you can at that point, particularly when the market's grinding sideways, you can get a bit confident that you know, hey, we haven't gone up. Maybe this is it. This is the top. Um, and it's quite easy to at that point sort of break your protocol. And you should have a protocol that you know that says you know the most amount of contracts I'm ever going to have open is X amount. Yeah. Um, and I think. Uh, yeah, so because this market, the current climate, has sort of disproved the, the, the uh, say, the, the, the bear camp theory now for quite some time. Mind you, it has only been two months, um, but there has been these upward surges that, yeah, you really need to um, to, to tread carefully. But, yeah, going back to, to just reiterate, the it's probably that parcel size, and um, even though you think, you know, you know where the market's going. Um, factor in that maybe it could go the other way, and then build in a buffer, and then maybe you know that's the point where you're selling at. All right, um, David's asked: Is there a good website you recommend for keeping an eye on the futures market? Uh, yeah, I think I actually use the um, the data uh, who data providers that you guys use. The Ivan, you'd be able to. Is it um, uh, what are they called? I'll just double check. Investing dot com. Investing dot com. Bottom left hand corner. Yeah, I tend to um, I tend to use IG typically. Just um, they they've locked my account out because I haven't I haven't used it for a while. But uh, I just go on the on the main page. Because yep. um, uh, the other thing is they also tr- they, they they have a market outside of market hours as well, uh, including weekend hours, which actually I don't know how weirdly magically their calculation works, but it's actually not too bad. It's it's a their market making. Um, so they actually yeah. have yeah. So they they have the uh, CFT over the futures that operates um, during the pauses and everything. Yeah. Um, that's typically how I know if I need to go and look and, and if I actually need to read the news over the weekend or not. Just look on the weekend now or something and then, oh, it's down 300 points. Yeah, Trump clearly did something. <laughs> oh, yep. Brian, um, good evening, Brian, uh, has asked, are there any specific events or scenarios that you believe could be the trigger for a bearish move? Um, uh one thing I know is that I don't know, <laughs> but I, I've tried to part of this, um, uh, all these types of events where you get a big shift and the, the, the thing that I've learned is that you, uh, you, you will never see it coming, but it's always an oddity. Uh, it's, it's something um, uh, you'll see, uh, how do I put it? It'll never be in your face. It'll be like, you know, match out. There's all of a sudden a huge amount of selling that just happens and no one sees it coming. Um, and then the next day, 
you know, there'll be just a huge sell-off. Um, and then it'll only be four days later. Uh, this is what, say, happened in, in 2018, February. If you look at what happened uh, during that time, and it was uh, SockGen had a uh, some kind of product that was, um, I think it was a short volatility fund, and something happened and it reached a point where they needed to basically buy 40% of the US futures um, at, you know, all, all at once in order to, to rebalance the, um, the fund. Something ridiculous like that. And anyway, so there was a huge, huge, um, uh, you know, demand and, and, and obviously it was all sort of an automated um, process. And then obviously other people saw what was happening and thought, what the hell's going on here? And, you know, the market just capitulated. Um, and it was only it was only four or five days later that people started you know it came through the through the normal news channels that hey this is this is actually what happened so yeah that to answer it, it the only thing you can look for is 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 weird price action that's about the only thing that I could put on it and to do that you've sort of got to watch price action enough um, to to get good indicators to um uh, you know what you're looking at and what may be abnormal, but yeah, you, you, it um, if only we knew. <laughs> um, thank you, Michael. Um, let me have a look through. I think I've covered everyone's questions. If I missed anything, let me know. Ivan, mean, is there anything that you wanted to discuss? Yeah. Uh, a couple of questions. There's actually just one point that I just want to make just about what Mike said um, earlier just around uh, no Aussie single stock futures. Uh, you do have leave votes just to really um, blow your mind there. But um, now, Nathan, one thing you did speak about is uh, long-short strategy, and, and we actually spoke about the, the other day around how you use futures. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit more about... Um, I guess your rationale for not sleeping and, and, and trading at night uh, and, and setting up your futures positions. And also, you only use XJOs, right? Or do you also trade SPY options? Um, no, just, just XJO. So, yeah, so the, the, the sleepless nights are more related to um, not the long-short strategy, just the, the uh, next option strategy. Um, but the... Uh, so yeah, so the long short strategy—it's basically most long, typical long short short strategies, which is quite common for hedge fund. Uh, they're they're long in equities and then they're generally short in equities, so they're shorting stocks. But uh, what I've been toying with is a strategy where instead of being short stocks, you're short futures. So you're kind of hedging um, or offsetting uh, losses. Um, in your long positions, but then around that, I'm using uh, options trading to basically negate the cost of the futures. So really trying to create a, a, a portfolio where your hedging is free. And then uh, as a result, you should be, if you, if you can pick up some half-decent uh, equities, then you'll be outperforming um, you know, a lot of equity fund managers quite easily because there's a lot of majority of a long only um, strategies. So yeah, that's, that's really the, the, uh, the, the crux of it is trying to, trying to just use the, um, 
uh, smart sub options trading to pay for that hedging and then some hopefully. <laughs> yeah, since you got, you know, I've, I've met a lot of um, fundies over the days so that, that um, have a fear um, and specifically stay away from options and then you get the guys that kind of have their very, you know, expensive suits talking around about how awesome they are at writing and you go, you start sort of digging in and go, oh, yeah, well, you know, we, 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 just, we just have a bit of an options overlay. And immediately they outperform the you know everyone else, which, which is I find quite funny. Um, if you, you know, you mentioned sort of around about um, one of the things you said, you know, it, which was I remember 2018 quite a lot. We actually I, I, I remember um, dealing with it right at the end with a few people that that, that really didn't get themselves set up properly because um, that really was a was a one off. And you're right, we've got these continuously. Uh, busy days now. How do you? What, what you you talk about position sizing, but how do you adjust your position sizing now in light of everything that's going on, uh, in light of where volatility is, and and I guess how much more careful are you now as opposed to say three, four, five, six months ago? I should say. Oh, uh, um, yeah. So my position sizes are a lot smaller now. <laughs> and. Um, uh, so basically, that, uh, that would be closely correlated to um, the volat- volatility levels. So, you know, at the moment, I think XVI is at about 22, 23. So if, if that's down, if XVI is, at, say, 10, 11, um, I'd probably have position sizes three times, um, probably three times bigger, maybe four times bigger than they are now. So, yeah, so... But with that said, the um, the premium um, as a result of that volatility could still be at the same level, um, yeah. and obviously for much less exposure. So if you can pick the right days, and I'm not sure I touched on that before, but that's probably one of the other key things is is um, you know the hardest trade is quite often not to trade at all, and waiting for the for the days in this current climate. Um, Come that where you're going to get a really big shift um, is it, it, that's the key thing. Um, so make sure you know that you're then uh, you don't want to be trading when you want to be trading when obviously you know the floods in the streets and everyone's going oh my god what's happening it's you know the market's flying three percent or it's you know tanking five percent. Mm-hmm. You want to be you want to be in it, but it's it's quite uh, as I said before like you know when you an options trader and you sort of, particularly when you're new to the game, it's quite easy to get carried away with seeing, um, uh, you know, options premium and thinking, oh, well, you know, this is this seems to be quite a good trade. Um, mm. I'll just jump in. But, but that's why it's important to have uh, you know, metrics and, and rules around, uh, you know, your, your trading to make sure that you're, you know, abiding by those and sticking, um, sticking to the original plan. Mm. And I guess that's, you know, that, that's quite important when, um, you know, we obviously all share the same sentiment that, and, and probably to some extent still do, that, that the market is a little bit overdone here and that the, the, the hot slog is ahead of us. Um, now, last time we spoke, we were talking about comfortably selling 5,500s and obviously markets screen through it. How did you adjust your position sizing? How did you adjust your positions actually physically during that time? And 
how did the futures side impact uh, your overall trade? Yeah. Um, the basically another thing uh, I probably did in the last um, three months compared to say five six months ago was was uh, change uh, was probably trading weeklies and and maybe fortnightly expiries as opposed to monthly. Um, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, there was one point where I was tra trading 30, 60, 90-day positions. Um, so I haven't done that for a very long time. I've basically been in weeklies and sometimes uh, what I – the 10 days out seems to be a fairly sweet spot um, for the premium. So that's generally – that's the Monday on a Monday – you get that 10 days out from expiry, and that seems to be um, yeah, a bit of a squeeze spot. So generally, I, I, I've adjusted that, so I'm in much shorter positions, and um, yeah, basically just obviously always keeping an eye on things, <laughs> never, never walking away, and, and, and watching those overnight sessions and, and, and um, jumping into futures positions if I need to. But I, I, will, I will add that the, that has been... Um, the fund, the, the hedge fund where we've been doing just straight options and hedging with futures, that has been, I've turned, we've turned a lot of uh, money in, in hedging um, in this last month because it has just gone, you know, it went 5,500 back to 5,000 um, back up again. And so there were a lot of trigger points um, and stop out points that were just being hit left, right and centre. So um, that then obviously sort of made made me sort of you know readjust the um, you know trade entry criteria to to reflect that that they're really um, you know just being aware of the fact that all right if we would come up with the fact that fifty six hundred could be a safe level to sell sell you know calls at um, you know maybe we build in a you know, x amount of buffer as well and that ends up being you know. 56.75, we end up selling it at or looking for, you know, opportunity at. Yeah, so does that I, answer the question? Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I ask a couple of questions about your fund? So uh, is there a uh, – uh, first of all, uh, Mike asked the question, was it is it open to the public? Uh, no. <laughs> it's, a, it's a closed private fund. Closed private fund. Uh, so you're not looking for new investors, or you 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 can entertain investors. I I I can do uh, some consulting work, but currently that, that fund is uh, doesn't operate through a license, so it's it's just uh, it's it's closed. We can we can sort that that problem out for you. That's Absolutely. <laughs> I think we spoke about that ten years ago, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. What's that? Uh, look, so I I hear I, that. So I, consult so consulting wise. And if, if there's any, you'd have to be a wholesale investor and there'd probably be some other caveats, but if that is um, something that you're interested in, um, then uh, you, when you leave and you go into the um, survey, just put a note in there that you would like uh, Nathan to get in contact and I can, I'll forward the details across if there's anyone there. Uh, Mike's got a trillion dollars on the table, he's mentioned, so... <coughs> Um, <laughs> you might have to uh, 
yeah. How's your uh, fund go with a trillion dollars, Nathan? Can you uh, can you handle the liquidity? I think we're moving to the uh, to the US to permanently um, just just trade the SP five hundred. Only James Hardy would be uh, would be the that I trade with the trillion dollars. Yeah. On the question um, of liquidity, Nathan, what is yeah. the like? What where do you cap out doing what you're doing at the moment? I, from from estimates uh, about. 80 to 90 million yep. would be the upper end. And that's based on um, just trading uh, on market. In index options, you can do um, over the counter, but it's not really um, something that, that's ideal. For, um, uh, and so, yeah, just based on looking at, at open interest and, and um, price action uh, within XJO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing um, you were you were chatting before I even ask this, just uh, uh, on the on the topic of liquidity and everything like that. Um, are you still based out of, away from the city, up in the Blue Mountains? I am. Yeah. So yeah, moved up moved up the Blue Mountains in uh, in January pre pre COVID. So uh, yeah, we're, uh, on seven acres up here, nicely isolated. <laughs> yeah. Whereabouts in the Blue Mountains, Nathan? In Kurrajong Heights. Okay. For for a man that used to live in the city, that's a, it's a quite a big big move. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, now it's um. Uh, you know, I had a. I, I spent a lot of my uh, career when I you know from early two thousands. Uh, you know, working out of my bedroom when I set my first set my company up, and um, you sort of had, had to pretend at that point that you had an office. Um, otherwise, none of the banks would talk to you, um, and uh, and then now, you know, I went. I had my own office in George Street for, for years and years and years, and I, I sold that at the end of last year. And um, and now it's all fine to work from your bedroom. <laughs> it's so every every one of my banking clients. Um, you know, I've been doing Skype calls with them uh, in the last couple of weeks, and like the guys at Citigroup and UBS, and um, yeah, they're all in uh, you know bedrooms or kitchens with their kids in the background and. And here I'm thinking, you know, this has been my, my whole life. I used to, you know, went to the effort of having an office and now it's all it's all cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, ultimately it's interesting, you know, internet makes things a lot easier these days. I remember I used to struggle getting anything away from home so, you know, couldn't trade from home and now you get these connections. But uh, one thing I wanted to chat to you about was um, – uh, you know, you, one thing you, you mentioned a fair bit about and was sort of a theme that we've had over the last couple of weeks is you, you spoke about having a protocol, having, you know, effectively adherence to trading rules, systems, and, and et cetera. How do you go about refining your trading systems? Because I know that a couple of conversations we had was about, you know, I think you mentioned that you're continuously sitting there and, and your weekends instead of catching up on sleep is effectively refining your trading systems and figuring out a new edge. Yeah, how, how do you doing that? What's your process? Um, well, I've got a, I suppose, a, a semi-manual uh, system. So a lot of the stuff, you know, everything I've been doing since um, early two thousands has been you know, uh, automated and computer based. Um, but when I first started trading the strategy, I um, 
yeah, well, since since then, when I, you know, I was testing the strategy and all the way up until now, I have not found a way to uh, fully automate it. So it's a semi-automated system um, that I've just got a few sort of metrics into it. But I've tried to also avoid making it too complicated um, so that it's – because I, I, I'm a firm believer in uh, that there's a – a lot of people overcomplicate um, – uh, you know everything in financial markets and in, in derivatives and in, in, in options. Um, so try to avoid that. That's why you'll probably never hear me speak about the Greeks. Um, you know I, I respect it. I understand it, but I avoid using um, and getting too focused on on um, uh, that and, and try to just keep things quite simple. So yeah, refining the process is it's pretty straightforward. I've got a, uh, as I said, a few you know, half manual systems um, that just require a bit of tweaking. I do a lot of, uh, spend a lot of time. I may mention the researching, um, you know, market crashes and and big shifts in events and and price action in, in markets, uh, and then also studying, uh, you know, on a micro level, like day to day. You know, people look at you know certain times of the day where you know who comes in and who trades. Um, and therefore, you get a better idea as to um, you know when to trade at a particular time of day and when not to trade. Um, it's not always you know like anything; it's not not black and white. But at least you get a better understanding of that. So, uh, a lot of my um, uh, you know strategy and everything is is based on that analysis and and um, yeah and. And, and just um, and monitoring monitoring things, but to update it is yeah, it's just a semi-manual process, so it's not too hard. Uh, Nathan Paul's asked, what inspires your idea generation? Um, I have to be return. <laughs> um, you know, continual return. I think I think I think when you know, like anyone. Uh, when you start out in, in, in derivatives, it's easy to get carried away. Um, but it's it's finding um, – I remember talking to a lot of brokers early on uh, when I first had the hedge fund, and none of them wanted to touch me um, because – and none of them actually you know, touched XJO options because um, they've all been burnt at one point in time, and they, they say that uh, – they said, it's, you know, there's two types of, um, you know, Derivatives traders like those that have been burnt and those that will be burnt, and um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's that. I suppose a few of those meetings have inspired me, and I still remember them to this day. So um, it, it, it for me, the inspiration is about you know trying to work out a, um, a strategy that yeah, it's gonna it'll it'll turn consistent profits, um, reducing the volatility volatility of the return itself, um, because everyone you know. Anyone will tell you, and as an options trader, you know you can you can really pull some big wins off. Um, but then, if your strategy is too wide open, you can also pull some really big losses off. So it's me. It's about the motivation is finding that balance um, and consistency to you know so that in 15, 20 years time you're still here. Um, just on that, I, I read earlier in the week. Um, uh, a guy, I think he was an ex-Goldman's guy and he's been running a, a, a might be volatility fund and he does a lot of stuff in this space of uh, um, 
uh, I think he has some kind of uh, volatility index. Um, and they shut the fund down. It was only Grant, Grant Samuel, is it? The, uh, yeah, Grant Samuel, I think, had were, were managing the fund. And the guy was, he was an ex-Goldman's guy, um, derivatives. And I think they, um, yeah, as I said, volatility fund, and they were using, I'm assuming, some kind of futures. And in the last three months, they just must have got stopped out so many times that they um, they just had to shut it. But that guy was, I know he does a lot of, or did a lot of work with uh, a lot of family offices um, as a derivatives specialist. Um, so it just, it's just an example of someone, a you know, super smart guy with a you know good strategy, but um, you know will the strategy work over any sort of market conditions? Um, and you know, in that answer, obviously, it was no. And so that's what inspired me to to find something that'll work through all conditions, which is a tough ask. But um, to basically, you know, the net result being a, a good, healthy return, and um, you know, outperforming long only equities guys um, any day of the week. I was chatting to, was chatting to a guy last night, which was. Um just around some, some work that, that uh, he can do for us. But um, he's an ex-Merrills guy, ran risk at ASX for a long period of time anyway. And so he consults to a lot of hedge funds. Um, and one thing that we're saying, interestingly enough, is that a lot of the sort of rally that's just been occurring um, has been driven um, with almost no institutional participation, which is extremely abnormally rare. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, I, I guess... Partially the the mechanics. I mean, you're looking at volume. Uh, the biggest day on Friday, uh, volume-wise, it literally dwarfed. Um, uh, it dwarfed March. Uh, you know, my broker does all retail, and we would like we were we had a ridiculous week last week. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of this retail-driven flow, and I guess the the interesting thing, and then your your views on this, Nathan, is that. What does this mean for for the longevity of this rally, in your view, if if it is all retail driven? Yeah, no, it's a it's a good point. Um, it's what does it mean? I, I suppose the answer, the short answer answer to that is that I'm still bearish. Um, I don't <laughs> think I think that the, the market may still go up. And, and as you said, you raise a really good point. Um, you may have noticed during uh, I think it was yeah, so it was last week when the, the banks had that huge rally. Um, the, some key points on that to, to note was that the Aussie market was basically reaching the point where we would all of a sudden we surpassed or we'd come back under the 20% off the high, um, which is a key moment or technical moment. And at that point, there was a, a big shift from, and it was almost direct out of um, healthcare, the healthcare sector and into the banking sector. Um, at one point, I think the, the the respective indices were, you know, one was down four and a half percent, the other one was up four and a half percent. So there was that big shift into banks, and then, which is really just price action. Um, and off the back of that, a lot of people saw that as, oh, you know, you know, banks positive, bang, jump in, a lot of retail investors, and you know, there's a fear of missing out, and they jump on, and I think, you know, then there was the rally for the next couple of days, and so yeah, it's. It is an interesting point about that price action is responsible um, for uh, 
you know the the index value being high, and it, because the index and the same in the states as well. So the, because the index value is high, doesn't mean necessarily equates to there being positive sentiment. So where to from here? I, I think uh, yeah, at some point there'll be some volatility in the to the downside. Um, I think there's uh, the can has been sort of kicked down the road with JobKeeper and freeze on mortgage payments and and also you know rent and rent subsidies that have as they kick the can down the road. So there is there'll be a certain point in time where um, there has to be some hurt. We've got you know unemployment um, uh, you know massively on the increase and in the US it's it's you know a really big problem and you've got social unrest uh, with all the, the rights at the moment. But, uh, yeah, it'd be, how that affects the market, um, nobody knows. And, <laughs> um, you know, all, as I said, all, all economic signs point to, um, to, you know, that the struggle is ahead, but uh, it's, it's currently not reflected in all indices. Where you've got to remember, uh, Aussie market, I suppose, we're still, we still are down. 89% off the high. So, um, you know, where we go, how much further down we go from here, if we do go down, you know, uh, remains to be seen. But I, I think there's a cer uh, certainly the, um, you know, the, the US S&P 500 um, and the, uh, the German DAX don't make a lot of sense um, sitting where they are at the moment, to me anyway. So, I know, so well, yeah, and that's particular, right? I mean, that's that's gone ballistic. That's that's almost at its high. Interestingly enough, um, uh, one of the companies that my wife consults to um, is a, a company that they've they've been significantly impacted by COVID. Um, uh, they're in they're in PR. It's obviously you know that's a tough that's a tough area to be in. Um, and yeah. uh, you know, JobKeeper runs out in September, and if Suddenly, revenue doesn't start coming in. Although they're, they're seeing some revenue come in now, uh, which will which will account for a little bit of uh, of, of a lot of what they lost. Um, but if there's not a significant uptick, there's massive layoffs coming in September, and I feel like that's probably going to be the case around for a lot of different companies um, in a lot of different areas. That so that can proverbial can is probably September or just after. Yeah. Definitely, it'll be a, um, and it'll probably you know, be before then at some point um, that yeah that, that there may be a catalyst for um, you know the, the writing being on the wall. So, mm. um, was, asked, if you were if you were hedging an equity portfolio for three plus months. Um, now, Andrew's asked, is put into this question, which makes it difficult um, to answer, but saying, like COVID, if you were hedging COVID, GFC, or pre-Christmas 2018 correction, would you use futures options, geared, bear, ETFs, etc.? Um, I, mean, I wrote a whole article about uh, Feb, I think, or Jan last uh, this year, around about how you would you hedge your portfolio, top six ways of hedging your portfolio, somewhere on LinkedIn. <laughs> Did I, All the did different I options. Hey, I, I, I publish it. Did you publish it? No, you didn't publish. You ignored it. You were the worst. You never read anything about <laughs> <so> it. <right. laughs> I think Send it's it short. Short. I'll publish it. To answer the question, though, Nathan, 
You got an answer? The short answer would be um, going with what you know. I think it's the, the most important thing in, is in, with any financial instrument. And as I said, that's why I made a point of saying that I don't actually, oh, I, I consult a lot of uh, equity specialists before I actually go along in any stocks. So it's important to, to only deal with what you know and what you know you, you specialise in. Um, for me, I, I, if it was me, I, I'd be using a combination of futures and options um, and not the, uh, the bear ETF purely because I don't. Uh, it's not what I do. So hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> How I would do it, there's obviously a lot of different... A comment from David um, and Ivan's probably the best qualified to, to, to ex- extend a further comment. So fair agreed during lockdown, Comsec and um, Westpac saw a huge number of accounts that they could not keep up. Comsec had an entire worth hit their desk in a week. Um, I, I mean, I know that a lot of people got dragged from different departments at Comsec uh, to go into the into the trading areas, uh, and then there were huge volumes and huge inflows. We saw it um, market wide. Ivan's owns a a uh, clearing uh, participant that um, supports a lot of third party broker or broker type businesses. What did you see during that that through that period, Ivan? Um, we had, well, we had a, we had a massive increase. Um, we probably en- ended up gaining more clients uh, than anybody else for that period. Um, on the back of, in particular, a lot of the self wealth plus our retail uh, through through Open Trade, had massive, massive growth. Um, and you know, to give you an idea, it was sort of about six, seven times what it was in February. Um, and I mean, we're sort of lucky in the sense that um, everything's pretty much straight through. It's all automated and. and uh, which we have a big advantage over the banks with that, uh, in the sense that you know if you go into your and you know you pass your hundred points of ID, then um, but yeah, we, we opened up a ridiculous amount over the three months or so from Feb, April, May. Um, we've actually had accelerated growth. So in in uh, April, May, we, we ended up opening a lot of accounts. May was we actually did more volume in May than we did in March, um, and a lot of that. You know, like our account, we we pretty much doubled the account, the accounts that we have. How many um, accounts are you talking, Ivan? Let's give me some context. Uh, we opened up uh, around about thirty five thousand, I think, in the last three months. Um, so it's it's yeah. sizable. Yeah, very sizable. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's interesting. You know, uh, it's right now. There's this this kind of everyone's in lockdown and and. You know, um, I think that the the poke is being reopened now is, is probably going to have an impact on that. Um, but prior to that, you know, like everyone, you'd go in and, and everyone's talking about kind of the modern platform providers that we support going, oh, you know, I opened up like a self-wealth account or I opened up a raise account or something like that. So it's been a bit interesting, but there's definitely been a lot more interest in investing. But when the market collapses at the rate that it has and it draws mass media attention, you know, of course you're going to get that. I remember during GFC um, in 2007 um, uh, towards sort of the, the back end, I remember people started talking about the market in 2008. Everyone was talking about investing in the market. I remember um, there were some people who were going to call center went, oh, you know, I'm just going to, I've, I've borrowed some money, I'm going to do it. It's like, okay, I, I guess why not? We're, uh, we're going through one of the worst economic crises in, 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 in time, you know, in history. Why wouldn't you go in and buy, you know, use other people's money to go and buy <laughs> stocks? 
seems like a foolproof strategy if you've never done it before. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. It, it just it's mentality, you know. In in six months, we'll be back to you know posting funny videos of ourselves on TikTok again. It's normal. <laughs> I forget what the question was. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, um, I think the, I think what uh, what what Ivan said like that. Isn't it what they say that um, you know that there's uh, you know when the taxi driver or the Uber driver starts talking about stops that you know that there's a, there's a problem and it's it's it's, yeah. it's, both, it's both at the upside and the and the severe downside and I think there there has been a few interesting articles I've read on the amount of uh, I think millennial traders they're calling them who mm. have you know jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, and you know, run the risk of you know maybe getting uh, really burnt um, mm. through this. I think that the there was the, nothing to do with uh, more on a, on a glitch side of a, a broker, but the Robin Hood broker. I don't know if you heard that story. Um, it's a tech startup broker, free brokerage in the US, and on two of the biggest days of volatility earlier on in March, um, their whole pla- their whole system went down, and yeah, basically. One of related. One of them was was Leapy related. Do you hear that? No, really. What, what, one of the glitches on the big big day. Everyone said, "Oh, it's the volumes you couldn't keep up with," and it was the Leapier that broke it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not good. And that's yeah, and that's what was it's the most outstanding. But yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, well, that's also another another good reason why um, you know you, you stick with and I, to give you guys a plug, like the um, you know your your platform. I've traded options through um, almost every broker in Australia that you can think of, um, but your platform is is by far the uh, the easiest to use, the best to use, um, and your the way your brokerage model as well, like on a commission base, and yeah, it's it's it'd be the cheapest as well, so. Good work. We, we should just clarify. It's not a paid yeah. advertisement. We're not. We're not bribing you with it. No. <laughs> thank you. It's a, it's you a know what? A beautiful thank, lead. Thank uh, for those that uh, haven't taken the trial, just type in yes, and we'll get you set up for thirty days, um, and you can have a look at our technology. Uh, you know, I'll never miss an opportunity for a plug. No, we'll never um, do it. I remember I was going to say my, my wife loves the platform. I, I, I quite often um, I've taught her to trade, and she quite quite often when I have to step away from the desk, um, she uh, she has to take charge um, and potentially <laughs> close. And she always says she has a love this interview. Really good. <laughs> That's <laughs> brilliant. Her. Yeah. Your wife's not in markets either, or not, you know, not background in markets. So uh, that's good. <laughs> Best compliment ever. Hey, um, I was, was going to say something. Oh, you, interestingly enough, um, you you effectively were, I think, one of the first clients. Um, I think you were in, in the first five or ten clients uh, to come onto the platform many, many moons ago. I remember having this conversation. I was out, like, I don't know giving in my dry cleaning or something. I was out in a shopping centre and you were telling running me running me past your strategy or running your strategy past me and kind of telling me what you were doing. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is good. Like, <laughs> it was interesting. I just, I, just something 
well, while we were talking, I remembered about that, and you were telling me sort of, you know, in terms of the time that you sell and you, the time decay that you're trying to get out, and uh, uh, where you're playing around it was pretty good. Yeah, it, was, it was good. I'm glad. I'm glad that our platform appeals to the right kind of, you know, sophisticated group of people. Ivan, oh. on that note, I'm going to uh, thank Nathan for coming along tonight. Uh, thank everyone else for uh, their attendance, and uh, again. Uh, final plug, if you haven't got access to our platform, you'd like to take a trial for free for 30 days, type in yes. We'll put 50k fictitious dollars in your account and you can practice trade the market um, and play around with it. And there's a whole bunch of features in there. You'll get access to our trade ideas, our back tester, live dynamic data. Uh, you can trade spread trades online. It's the cheapest brokerage. Uh, so get in there and have a trial if, you, if you're not already set up and up and running. Um, the and if on. you do want, and if you do want to beg Nathan for a for a spot in his fund, uh, type that in as well, and I'm sure he yep. can contact you, and and you can twist his arms maybe. Although I failed in the past, so good luck. <laughs> well, I yeah, yeah, send it through, and uh, in the you can put it in the chat box now, or put it in the um, survey on your way out, and. Uh, I'll forward your details across to Nathan, um, and 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 you got and anyone can pick up the conversation with him directly. So, but on that note, we'll be back again next week um, with a, with another speaker. Um, we're going to be doing the ASX game wrap. I, I should just mention we had a huge participation in the ASX options trading game this round. We were fourteen hundred people that um, registered to play. 1,400 people actually got in there and looked around and, and just under 700 traded. So we, I think let me break all the records, this one, Ivan. Um, and yeah. the winner was uh, Costa, who's an 18-year-old, and we're going to do the game wrap with Graham O'Brien, who's the head of derivatives for the ASX next Wednesday. I think we're scheduled in for Ivan. And <laughs> I haven't seen you. we're going to get Costa to come in and tell us, uh, how he went about it, how he won, and um, we might, uh, Ivan, you and I can flip the coin over who gets to hire him, but he sounds like a uh, very switched-on young man. Um, hey, where, uh, is he, where is he? Is, is he yeah, just... That's a question I've no idea. Um, oh, well, I mean, if it's, if it's in Melbourne, we can have a coin flip. Otherwise, if it's Brisbane or Sydney, then I win. Why do you win? I, we've both got Sydney offices. Anyway, we'll, we'll pick this conversation up later on. Uh, all right. <laughs> On that note, Nathan, thank you very much, mate, and uh, thanks to everyone for coming along tonight. Cheers. Sure. Thanks. Right. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah.